Hi, I'm Anna Burt, and I'm Sue's daughter. Hi, I'm Emily Benito. I'm Trudy's daughter. Though our mums are both dead, the fact doesn't change. We're both adapting to living our lives without our mums, and know we are very much not the only ones. We have joined forces to create a podcast in the hope that we can provide what we feel we needed and still need in our grief. The mothership, the mother load. There's no getting around that mother means something big. There are so many different kinds of mother, biological, step, figure, and so many different kinds of grief when they're gone. We're here to do what we can in podcast form, welcoming guests so we can explore our experiences together, where they converge and where they vary, and, hopefully, understand a little more about the nuance and scope of The The Mother mother of All Losses. So, Anna, before I ask you the question we typically ask each other at the top of each recording, we both have exciting news, don't we? Do you want to go first? No, yours is yours is yeah. I'll go first because mine's shit compared to yours. Yours, yours is shit. It's not. It's not a comparison game. I am just. I feel like one of my nicknames could be lead barrier. Like I'm really. I, I come in quite slyly about things. So if you could help me with that and go first. Okay, no problem. Emily and I met up in a in a virtual setting and had a drink together the other day just for a little catch up, um, and. She, I received two very, very good pieces of news from her. Um, the the first of which is that we are going to meet each other in person in two weeks. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm really excited about. And the second is news that made my heart feel so full, I ugly cried for about 15 minutes at a camera. And it was beautiful. Um, so... Oh, you know what the lovely thing is, is like, I I, I also feel my heart sort of swell knowing that the people who are going to be listening to this. So uh, David and I are going to get married. <laughs> oh, you do? She's such a sweetheart. Oh, why am I being so weirdly heteronormative? Oh, I mean, I did a whole bit about being in a straight passing relationship as a bisexual lady at a gig that I had at the weekend. I think it sort of went all right. Um, but you know what? Love is love, in, in even in the ways that society has like... Don't that. Do not appreciate that, you hecko. <laughs> Still bisexual, I promise. Yeah, we're going to get married and, and Anna, was, Anna was an absolute delight about it. But it's, it is this weird thing because I ended up uh, having a haircut in between the time that Anna and I had our little little drink and as uh, and recording now and I don't know if I've even mentioned Anna to you or on the podcast so sorry to to repeat if I have but just to bring anyone up to speed I've had the same hairdresser for eight years because when I first moved to Edinburgh I was like cool new city, new hairdresser. And the experience of getting a new hairdresser, I think is akin to like buying a new pair of jeans. It's like really horrible as you're doing it. But once you found the one, you do not waver, right? One DP. Even when I moved to Glasgow and people were like, you're still going to Edinburgh? I'm like, yeah, of course. Because I'm guaranteed a good haircut. Why travel the lengths of the earth? Anyway, Trude used to come with me because when she moved to Scotland, she said, who's a good hairdresser? And I said, you need Joe. Joe is the best. So we went 
together. It was like one of the things that we would do was try and like get our haircuts in sync. And Jo fell in love with Trudes because of course she did, because everyone did. And it was a, the, the moment when the first haircut I went to see Jo for on my own and she saw me and she was still with another client and she dropped everything and she ran across the length of the salon to me, scooped me up in her arms and just cried saying, I'm so sorry. And it just meant the most at that point. And she said, I'm really sorry. But then when I told her this news, she again did a little bit of an ugly cry, which I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of loving it because it is a big deal, right? It's a big deal. Um, pretending to be an adult and all that. But towards the end of my haircut and she was just kind of like finishing because I've got this really awkward cowlick anyway Emily come on wrap up the story <laughs> um she was sort of crying again but she looked at me and again we're still masked up and she just sort of looks me in the eyes and she says I'm really happy for you but also you know I knew exactly what she meant when I was like yes I know and it's this incredibly weird bittersweet thing of telling the news but I can't tell the person I'd most want to tell but in telling you all our dead mums club through the podcast airwaves I feel like I have a bit because you all get it I think that's what it was it's the good things and it's just knowing that that the, the happiest times are the ones that make you the saddest I I get most upset when good things happen and I can't share them because what's the point of having kids if you can't share in their happiness yeah Anyway, can we talk about me now? Uh, yes, please. To you, please. <laughs> Guys, I actually met someone. I finally met someone. It happened. <laughs> when Anna texted me this, I was in the gym and I sent her possibly the most unflattering selfie of me that exists because it gave me the endorphin rush to push through and finish my time on the bike. <laughs> very, very diplomatically said, gosh, you're you're working hard. <laughs> I'm just really sweaty. <laughs> I think I went a bit there, but don't worry, I've got my local, it's fine. Um, but yes, you've met someone. Yes, they're lovely, and I've known them for a while, and and it's it's just really nice. It's quite mm. long. I went out for lunch with two really old friends at the weekend, and they played a game which was rating all my exes on a scale of shit to really fucking shit. <laughs> ah. And they both really liked this guy, and I was like, "Oh, thank God!" Like because it's a running joke in my like friendship group that I like have the most bizarre taste. My taste in women is much better than my taste in men. Uh, my taste in men is like, it's like I'm em- I'm embarrassed by it often. Like the 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 situations I've got myself into before and stayed in just because of a fear of dying alone. And then once I just stopped worrying about that, I was like, "Woohoo, love my life!" And then got hammered and hooked up with someone that I already knew and always thought was absolutely lovely and then it's just like been really really nice really nice I just feel I feel a bit you know I've been banging on about not feeling looked after recently yes I'm feeling a bit lonely (laughs) I can't believe I found validation in a man but I do feel better and I do feel a bit looked after and I do feel a bit held up and I didn't realize how much I needed that oh see I'm just so glad that you have that and like 
I don't know whether it's even like validation because what if it's just it's the person who gets your needs met yeah I think I actually just feel happy with it well there you go which is nice isn't it that's really nice so yeah so that's that's some nice good bits of news and uh, to be honest this is going to be so embarrassing by the time this comes out I'll have like broke like I'll have been done hey. like a bit of hey. I'm, like, I'm so triggered by this episode but you know what I would I want it on I want it documented that I feel really good and it's great and that I can listen back to this and think at least it's better to have loved (laughs) (laughs) it's good and important to recognize these things and remark upon it doesn't happen much like life is full of a lot of scary weird shit at the moment and we're not used to good news like the last 18 months when like how often have you got good news I mean to be fair a lot of people have got have got Brego, which is good news sometimes and I guess some people are getting married and stuff like that and that's really nice but mostly it's like oh the, the death rate's rising um the sea's on fire and Afghanistan is burning and you're like fuck you know it's an onslaught and again these things aren't in any way detracting from that it's it's reaffirming who we are as people and how every human being has a right to happiness and we just need to fight for those who uh who don't have those options but Anna, our lovely news aside, can I ask you, how is your grief today? I forgot that's what we were here to talk about. <laughs> I was I was thinking today whether or not I should tell this story. I obviously won't mention anyone's names, but um, one of my like really, really, really best friends in the whole entire world um, got was in a really bad place and called me over the weekend and told me that they, and this is a trigger warning for suicide, um, basically didn't want to live anymore. And I haven't felt, and I had no idea, and I haven't felt that level of shock, pain, anguish, worry, grief, sadness, shock, pain, all of it again. I haven't felt that since since my mum died. And it was so triggering. It was I was absolutely inconsolable. Luckily, I was with friends, but I couldn't, I just couldn't, I could not process that information. And I genuinely cannot remember feeling like that in eight years, like since the period of my mum dying. Like it was the same kind of shock where you can't stand up that I got when she told me that she was going to die. Like I wasn't as shocked when she died because of how she died, but it was just like, it was so, so deeply painful that I, I don't, and that's kind of where my grief is. My grief is like, feels very close to the surface because I've been thinking a lot about this friend who, you know, luckily now we're able to, I'm so glad we know now we can get them the help that they need and all of that stuff and look after them. But it was so, it was such a big feeling and I felt sick with it. And I remember feeling sick with grief for my mum. And so that was, that was tough. Um, Apart from that, it's kind of been okay, to be honest, but that was a really, that has thrown me and I don't know yeah I don't know I need to talk to Claire about that one to be honest Claire's my therapy Amy for (laughs) my therapy my therapy um yeah it was it was it was shocking and it must have been how you felt when your lovely friend Jules died um is that you just you just can't fathom it oh completely Anna I'm so sorry and you know all the love to your friend because I've very much personally been there and simultaneously I feel like so much respect for your friend for reaching out and also to you because I think 
they must on some level have grasped that you were the person who would understand on some level even though it has had because you you can't just be like casual about suicide like a lot of the advice about talking to people about suicide is to not be judgmental and that's fine and that's correct but you're also allowed to have a reaction back to it like the number of times where I've sort of like spoken to friends of mine who are suicidal and I'm like but I, I don't want you to go yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be really selfish about this like for the next 24 hours can you just do it for me if you can't do it for yourself and you do what you can in in the moment and I'm really glad that your friend is in a place where you know, they're going to get the help that they need. And again, referring to the past 18 months, it's done such a number on all of us in so many different ways. And I and I don't think the sort of like, oh, you know, we're able to go out a bit more. That's not, mm, that doesn't mean that everything else is gone. But no wonder that's going to kind of touch back to that shock. Because again, whether someone... You know, because of course it takes you back to that shock of when your mum says she's going to die because this is your friend saying, I want to. And it's still, and it's less about, you know, whether it's, <sighs> I'm so bad about the terminology here, so I apologise, but whether it's self-inflicted or whether it's something that's going to happen, you're still on the void, you're still on the void, you're still on the really delicate edge between life and death so no wonder love but I'm glad you're going to speak to speak to Claire because that because that needs unpacking and yeah it does and it this was very recently so I kind of haven't quite I haven't really processed of course you're still in shock and I said to them on the phone I said you will ruin my life (laughs) like you have to not do that just for at least just just don't I said I can't I'm not doing it again please Um, never mind you haunting me I'll haunt you Oh, like, I will fuck it. Like, I, will, I will kill you. It's not the right word. Um, how how is your grief, Em? You must feel it. Must just do things feel loaded? Yeah, always. It's it's an odd thing because like the sort of circumstances of David and I's. Oh, there's no good word. I don't like engagement. I don't like betrothal. He's not my fiance. Um, he's just. I think because we felt just from the offset very together and very settled it's hard to think of it as like an event it more just sort of like oh we're just going to keep doing this aren't we and we'd like to have a big party because we're show-offs we're two comedians yeah I mean absolute nightmare do you who do you think is funny you or him (laughs) oh here's here's the coward's way out we do different stuff but it's also true we do very different stuff David's stuff on stage is much more about like um it's very tech heavy it's nothing to do with his personal life. Whereas I'm literally there with a microphone being like, sup fuckers, want to hear some jokes about my trauma? So I, I like to think that we, <laughs> I like to think that we cover a lot of bases, but we, yeah. But he, but he makes me laugh every day and he is so quick. Like I'm definitely like an internal churner, whereas he's just like, just immediately. So we're same, same, but different. But it's this weird thing where, Again, in terms of like good news and all this kind of stuff, we've, we're, despite being show offs, didn't really want to announce things. And I always feel quite nervous when I tell people because I don't know, I guess you, you, you worry about some sort of pushback or people being like, okay, good, be good for you. Um, but I'm a big dumb girl who can make her own decisions now, apparently. 
But it is it is loaded and it is weird because I've been trying to uh, see my stepdad face to face, and bless him, uh, he's so deaf he doesn't he doesn't listen to podcasts. So I feel like this is my little space where I can talk about it. Um, but he's been quite understandably precautious about the pandemic because he's in high risk category. But now I'm at the point where well I'm double vaccinated. Boy, he wants me outside work stuff and other stuff has come up and at the time of recording we are heading into um about a week or so away from September which is the big month for me and I'm sort of like how much do I need to sort of wait and duh, I've told my dad because I got to see him face to face all this kind of stuff but it's also a bit it's always a bit loaded because I don't know what the response is going to be back and sometimes it's really lovely like with my hairdresser as I said that someone else is feeling it too. Um, but yeah, I think it's more it's more for me heading into September. I think when we get deeper into sort of like wedding planning, I don't know how I'm going to feel, but it's probably going to kind of encroach. But I was thinking back to our episode with the lovely Beth French, founder of Let's Talk About Loss, and that she found a way to include mum in her wedding you know so I don't feel despair I'm more just like I have absolutely no idea how I'm gonna react but I know there are ways to do it and it's never going to be a substitute but it can be a balm you know are you going to wear a dress made of that wool fabric that you really liked yeah <laughs> um <laughs> god I wonder I mean like oh god here's a real confession Anna the number of times mum would spontaneously make me a jumper which was just the most gorgeous craft work. And not as in band, as in, you know what I mean? Um, but that I just would never wear. But I have them all now. They're all sort of tucked away because I'm like, how dare I? But I still I still wouldn't wear them. Let's make a patchwork dress for your wedding. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, should we, bring, should we bring on our guest, my love? Yes, please. So, Amy Lavelle, writer extraordinaire has just written a book whose name I've literally just forgotten. Definitely fine. Definitely fine. Who definitely fine? Which I definitely am, promise. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Amy is a writer that lives in Brighton um, and has written a book which is um, loosely based on the death of her mother. Is that right? I have read the beginning and it is funny and witty and tragic and scary in equal measure and I'm really really excited to talk to you about it Amy so welcome. Thank you thank you so much for having me. Um, So the first question we ask our guests is the first question that we ask each other which is how is your grief today? I've been thinking a lot about this and it's it's been such a strange time because I've had this novel come out which is literally a lifelong dream come true and she's not here to see it. But at the same time, it's also based, well, it's inspired by losing her. So that's a lot in itself to sort of unpack. And it's just been one of those, it's sort of one more recent big life event after a series of them. Like I had a baby nine months ago and she had been teasing my siblings and I about having children since we were children. It was really inappropriate. So that she would have absolutely been thrilled over the moon to see my baby and it it's just really difficult she's not here for that. So but at the same time, and I was, I was so worried about it, I was so worried about how I was going to cope as a mother without her here. Um but at the same time I think I've been doing pretty well with this and the 
it's lovely having that space to talk about mum through the book and have those conversations with my family members again about certain parts of her life and death. So all being said, I think my grief is pretty okay. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And um, our next question, our first real question, well, I mean, not that that's not a real Chris, please cut that out. Um, Is how did your mum live? Please introduce her to us. Okay, so my mum was Dawn and she was just really cool, like so much cooler than I will ever be. She was very much the cool mum to my friends. She was like a teenager in the 70s, a big fan of all the 70s rock bands. And you could always tell she was coming because she'd be driving down the road with all the windows open, just blasting like the Rolling Stones. We'd be like... "Mm." Yeah, that, that's that's mum. That's her. Yeah, you, you can hear her. Yeah, that's her. Um, so she's great. And she was really maternal. She loved kids, like I said. A great cook. Very much just love us, my brother and sister. We'd have my friends around to be able to just look after those people. Um, I don't mean to make her sound like a saint, but she was just she was just great. Um, and she like she helped. She volunteered at um, Chaley Heritage School, helping children with neurodisabilities tried horses and later on she just worked around the village cleaning little people's houses that couldn't do themselves just keeping them company so she was just really really lovely yeah she was great (laughs) talk about like bittersweet things I kind of it's something I think about a lot you know these big life events when you meet someone and you um on you know having a baby is such a big deal do you like has it has it changed your grief? Do you see your mum and the baby? Do you see yourself in your mum with your parenting? It has, you know, I really do. I, because uh, like I said, she was just, she was really natural mother and she loved it. And I was so worried that I wouldn't be, that I would just completely suck at it. That the baby come out and I'd be like, oh God, what have I done? Um, but it hasn't been like that. I've really loved her. I, The baby, obviously, yeah. The baby, I love her. Um, and yeah, I do see my, I do see some of her in the parenting. There's some things that I say, which I just come straight from her or, you know, the baby crying. It's one of those situations where it's quite stressful, but I just feel very calm in that moment. But I say this now when the baby's nine months, she'll get like a bit older and be like, God help me. But at the moment it's great. I, I just, yeah, I do. I just feel like I'm channeling mum sometimes with her and I can see mum in her because she's very much got my eyes and I've got my mum's eyes. So it's just that little nice continuation of the female line in her so yeah it has changed my grief it has made her feel um both more present and also maybe more aware of her absence really yeah those always come together it's it's the what it's the grief coin (laughs) and you flip it on either side and it is very much absence and presence I love this image of Dawn like rocking up to pick you up from school with (laughs) the rolling stones blasting out and she sounds incredibly generous like a lot of love to go around. I just picked up when you said, I don't want to make her sound like a saint because I think something that we talk a lot about on the, on this here podcast is kind of appreciating our mums as like the people that they were and how much awe and admiration we have for them, but also not wanting to like make them somehow flawless because their flaws were utterly part of them as well. Yeah, Absolutely. And I am really interested in um, in your process of writing this book. So um, when when did you decide, you know, how long um, after your mum died did you decide to write it? And what was your, how did you kind of look, 
well, I've got a few questions really. Look after yourself while doing it because that's really big. But like navigate the difficulty of kind of fictionalizing something so big and horrific um, into something that you could kind of talk about. Um, so when I first properly started writing it, it was about two years after my mum had died. Um, and I was doing a creative writing course and I thought, well, this is a subject I could write about. Um, and I really wanted to turn it into something positive and make it funny. That was really important to me. Um, so when I first thought about it, I thought, well, maybe I could write a memoir. And then I thought, God, no, I can't write a memoir. Like, my, my family would kill me. I can't write about what they're actually like. It would just be a nightmare. <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, you know, fictionalise it. And I think the first few chapters are the closest to my life and my mum's death and what that experience is like. Um, partly because I think it's important to be fairly authentic when describing something like loss that like like losing your mum I think that's important to be authentic um and partly because writing I mean I don't know anything about hospitals so I needed to write what I knew otherwise it would just be it just wouldn't make sense um but after that it was just very much going on the emotions and I was just I mean looking back I was a total mess I thought I was fine and I was really thinking well why don't any of these books about grieving deal with the fact that you don't think you're grieving like obviously I feel fine where are the books about that so I really wanted to channel that kind of emotion into it whilst just fictionalizing everything else like I feel like it's important for me to say that so again my family doesn't kill me um <laughs> so yeah I just I just really tried to channel all that emotion all that strangeness and all that really just weird mental headspace that I was certainly in when I was grieving into the story and just try to make that as authentic as possible while making, yeah, making everything sure everything else was fictionalised, if that makes sense. Totally. And I, I've only read the blurb, but I absolutely loved it and it is incredibly funny. And as someone else who decided to channel their, again, every, your, your description of this, particularly that early first experience of grief is absolutely spot on where you're like, and you're not fine, but you're fine in a sort of, I think it's a very British sense of like, I'm completely numb and also feeling everything at the same time. But as someone else who uh, decides to channel all of that into something creative, but also to want to make it funny, can I ask you, Amy, what your kind of impulse about kind of giving it a sort of coating of humour, like where that came from and how that helped you? I don't really know where it comes from, to be honest, other than, as you said, sort of British thing, which I think very is that sensibility of um, it's never too soon to make a joke about it. Um, but for me, I mean, one of the big inspirations was reading Heartburn by Nora Ephron. Which oh, is about, I love her. Exactly. And, you know, but she says about that, I wanted to make my divorce by this terrible thing happen. I just think that's really admirable. And I laughed a lot after my mum died and I had so many things happen to me that were just so bonkers and ridiculous it was completely absurd and I thought god this is actually really funny but you're not told that you're allowed to or supposed to laugh about death and grief I just thought oh bollocks to that this is just really really funny I'm going to laugh and I want to make this book funny so I can translate some of that in as well so someone else is out there being like like you say, being that they're fine, they're laughing, they shouldn't be laughing, are they allowed to act this way? It's like, yeah, you can, just go with it. And so, yeah, that was really, I think that's <laughs> mainly where the urge to put that kind of funny layer on. I didn't want to write a depressing book. I wanted to write something funny. And hopefully some of it is. There are jokes. I can't wait to read it. 
Amy, our next question is, please could you tell us a story about Dawn? And it doesn't have to be a fantastically significant or moving story. It's just a story that occurs to you now or one that you don't often get to talk about in relation to her. Basically, this is your little space to tell us a story about Dawn. Okay, thank you. Okay, so we were shopping in town one Saturday, which we did a lot together. Um, and we went into Gap, who were having some kind of promotional thing off. So they were, ha- they were hold- handing out 10% vouchers as you walked in. So we both got one. And mum was going to buy me this shirt dress and she was going to buy herself something like a belt. And we got to the cashier and was like, can we can we combine our 10%? We get 20% off. And he's like, oh, no, sorry, sorry, can't do that. I'm like, okay. And mum and I just looked at each other and had this moment of like, well we know what we can do. We can game the system. If we pay for our items individually, we can use both our vouchers and get more money off than if we just use one voucher to pay for them both. So we're very smug. Mum was like, okay, I'm going to buy both these things, but I want to buy them separate transactions. And I was like, well, yeah, but don't you want to save a voucher because you you can use it for like a month. No, 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 no. We're going to buy them separately and use both vouchers. Like nudge nudge, wink wink to each other, extremely smug. So we pay, like pays for the dress, just holds a credit card in the hand, hands over the next voucher, pays for that as well. Smugly leaves the shop. And we get out the door and just like, hang on. That actually, no, it was the same amount of money off doing it the way we did it rather than actually just. So we just felt like complete morons. And God knows what that guy thought of us as well, because we were just so unbearably. Yeah, we, we're in the right we are gaming the system with our little thing <laughs> really embarrassing looking back at that moment actually <laughs> I wouldn't have like that made complete sense to me with same you. I was same. like yeah, yeah great great very sensible I do exactly the same thank you thank you <laughs> who, who doesn't want to like get thrifty at Gap it's overpriced anyway it's only worth it in the sale or if you have a voucher exactly it's just closed down in Brighton, actually. Has it? Oh, no, sad times not that I ever went there. Um, I love that story. And I would love to know a bit about, this is a question that I'm just very, very interested in. Poor Emma's probably sick of it. But we have a kind of like only child sibling divide here that Emma's an only child and I'm a sibling. And you are one of three, is that right? Yeah, well, I'm one of I'm one of three from my mum and one of six from my dad total. So my mum was my dad's second wife, had an extra three with her, so... A lot of siblings and yeah. Your dad is virile. <laughs> <laughs> that was weird. Sorry. Um, <laughs> oh my god, what is wrong with me? I went to a Hindu last night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um I've got another one on Saturday. Oh my god. Anyway, um how did the death of your mum affect the relationship with your siblings and has their grief kind of looked different to yours? So uh, my younger siblings are, are focused on them. Given the older three, it's a different mum. They're still alive. Um, my younger three were all sort of four years apart. Uh, younger two, sorry. Four years apart. And we weren't that close growing up. It was just sibling rivalry and standard stuff. We got hit. I hit 18. I said, like, right, I'm an adult. I'm going to be friends with my siblings. Come here to me, children. Be my best friend. And they're both like, No course we're not going to be it's been monsters for us for the last however many years um but we were getting closer and then mum died and it really has just made us so so when I was 28 when she died my sister was 24 my brother was 20 so we're all kind of we were in that adult space 
but especially as their older sister I felt very much like it was my responsibility to look after them and I need to be one to kind of guide the way and really step into that maternal figure in a way um and yes their grief did look different to mine I think I probably looked like a complete lunatic from the outside and neither of them did um yeah my sister isn't one to talk about her emotions she doesn't love it and my younger brother it will come out when he wants it to he'll have a talk about it but again he can be quite stoic and quite like just quite quiet really so I think I was very much the one trying to push them to open up and to really like feel your feelings and go through let's go through this together kind of thing and really and they're just like Amy please back off um so yeah it's one of those things I still don't I still feel like their grief is quite alien to me like you don't we're all going through the same loss but it's hard to know what someone else I mean no no grief is the same as even the same person you're grieving and your siblings still it's still different but overall it has made us a lot a lot closer now than we have ever been my sister's the first one I go through the problem it's always been mum now it's now it's Sinead um so yeah it's one of those sort of weird silver linings it's like I'm not, I'm not pleased my mum died but I am pleased we got that out of it at least yeah absolutely I really relate to that so um what we'd also love to know um is you so basically a lot of the book and a lot of you've made quite a lot of references to basically being quite destructive after your mum died um which I know that Emily and I can definitely oh, relate to Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, yes, I did do... I can't even think about the things that I did. And actually, sometimes they'll do and blame it on my grief. And I'm like, oh, but I'm parentless. And it's like, no, you're just a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what worked and what didn't? And I would also like to tie this into the idea, can you tell I work in publishing, um, of your book? Um, and whether or not you found that process cathartic. Um. The book, I feel like, to answer that front, I, I, I don't know if I found it cathartic. I had, I was writing and people were like, oh, is that, that must be really cathartic. I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And someone else said, well, be good, be good to yourself because we're going through a lot of stuff here. And I was like, oh, is, that, is it, is it? I, I, I was not particularly connected to my brain. I, there were definitely scenes, I think editing was actually worse for that. So looking back at, especially at the hospital scenes and having to really think about what happened with mum, that was a lot harder. I think I sort of wrote it in such a, uh, different headspace it was just quite removed from it um so I, that kind of falls in a weird middle space of, I have absolutely no idea whether it's helpful or not I think it's helpful it being out there now um what definitely to answer your original question what definitely wasn't helpful and I hope this doesn't make me sound like a complete monster but this is very much going from the first sort of six months of being deep in the grief might sound a bit weird as well it was um David Berry dying and I'm a big Berry fan, as was my mum. I know his music means a lot to a lot of people. Um, God, it was just like the worst possible timing for my friends kind of coming to me and be like, oh my God, David Berry died, can you believe it? I just feel so bereft, I feel so lonely. I'm like, well, yeah, I can believe it because my mum just died and actually I knew her and I need the headspace from that grief right now and not to take on yours for David Berry, who I know also had a family that's must have been devastating last week. I do... I know I sound awful. I was very angry in the first. That's not awful. It's not awful. Yeah, well, I just, I, I just think I was quite, I was quite angry. Not with mum, not with God, even. Just 
little things would trip me off and someone else kind of being oh my god I just I can't believe it I can't believe it I can't believe it I was like I just need the space to kind of just be in my loss right now about my mum and just deal with that and not sort of take on anything else so I just I know not, yeah that was just where I was at at that point it was just a weird timing and everyone died in 2016 my mum died in 2015 all the famous people died in 2016 it was just a very weird time of national outpouring of grief god I can't imagine how frustrating that would have been because I think sometimes you know with celebrity figures they are flashpoints they are also real people and like you say Bowie has a family and, and wife and kids and all this but at the same time, it's often that kind of like, kind of like what we're talking about a little bit earlier in terms of the kind of sanctifying of people, when people kind of like go into all these like throes of woe, and it's not to try and take away how significant Bowie or anyone else like that was to them. But at the same time, it's like, but it's a, it's a different kind of grief. Like, don't go to someone who has lost their mum. <laughs> An incredibly significant, immediate, direct, personal bereavement and be like, I just, I think I just need to go into like mourning. I think I'm just going to retire to the, it's, oh, fuck off. Yeah, know your audience, lads, come on. Oh, exactly, exactly. Like, no, no, it's not awful of you at all, Amy, at all. I mean, what was awful was that uh, Bowie died a couple of days before my birthday. <gasps> and uh, I was like, fuck you. Now everyone's just sad about David Bowie. And like, I'm amazing and it's my birthday. So that's selfish. That's bad. Um Amy Winehouse died when I was on holiday once and I got well pissed off. I was like, why are you killing my vibe, Amy? I remember exactly where I was when Amy Winehouse died because I was at tram lines in Sheffield when it was good. And I was looking at some, I, I shit you not, some blood on the floor from a fight from like a couple of hours earlier. And my best friend in London texted me like, Amy Winehouse is dead. And I just looked at the blood and I was like, what? Um, in terms of catharsis that we we're talking about there, and it's something that I find very much in doing this podcast. And I don't know if you feel the same, Amy, that it's not so much an immediate personal catharsis, but there is something soothing about enabling other people's. Yes. Have you got like much of a response from the book? Are you privy to that? Or or are you more kind of just having to be like, it's out there, hopefully people feel it. Like, have you got sort of messages or anything about how the books help people? Yeah, I actually, I mean, I feel really lucky and I've had, given it's been out for, oh God, I should know this, like a week and a half, I've already had some messages from people just saying, I've lost someone or I lost my mum or I lost my dad um, and just saying how much it helped or how helpful they found it, which was, has meant so much. I'm just being incredibly arrogant here and just quote a little bit of one, which said that they just said they read it and it's the first thing that made them feel less alone after 14 years of losing their parent which is just one of those things I read it and I cried I was with my in-laws at the time so it was just embarrassing for everybody but yeah I think I'm incredibly lucky because that's all you want isn't it I mean, I'm sure if you guys present this podcast as well you you just want to have that connection and have it help and yeah I'm very very lucky that I've had a few of those responses already because it really just I think that's as you say it's the joint catharsis of of knowing it helps someone else and everyone feeling that same thing together that's really been the high point of it really are you writing your next book at the moment I am yes how are you finding it after having got so much of kind of what the last few years have been for you into this one how does it feel it's feeling really bizarre but then also it's a very unique space of being in a pandemic wrote it pregnant and then with a newborn I'm writing it with a young baby still 
Um, and it's nothing like it's nothing about the first one. So it's it's really it's re- I think I got a bit of difficult second album about it as well. So I'm just trying to hope that that's kind of a universal creative feeling and not just that I'm writing something my editors are going to hate. So. <laughs> I've never met an author whose second book was a breeze mm. ever. And I, it, Emily, it's probably similar for people's second shows, isn't it? Hundred percent. You, you struggled after after Wendy, big Wendy, didn't you? Oh, big time, and I'm struggling again. I'd like to get to the point where it's not a struggle. Whether that will come, we'll see. But again, I think it's, I like to reframe it as like I'm actually really t- uh, tackling the subject. I, I think if it is what you do, it's not that you have to like, uh, you don't have to manufacture any suffering or to make it harder. It just is hard. And that means that you're really grappling with it. Can I come back ever so slightly to the point of being monsters post mum loss Amy you, you mentioned did you say you were 28 when Dawn died yeah yeah 28 when she died yeah so I was 28 as well and I feel like a lot of my because Anna like you say there's kind of like a little bit of license but also like possibly the most valid reason ever but then I do think I pushed it at certain points into being an excuse and then coupled with being in my 20s so how do you feel now Amy can I ask in your grief kind of that and what helped you maybe sort of shift from and I'm using heavy air quotes for the benefit of the listener from your from your monstrousness I think just getting a bit of distance helped because I mean I don't really believe in the stages of stages of grief that may work for me like that we don't we don't either right apart from apart from anger I was just really really pissed off with little things, so I think I think just having some some time away from it and just being allowed to get upset. Um, had quite a big fallout with one of my friends right after she died, actually, and I think us making it up, and that was based on something that happened. I, I wasn't feeling as supported as I wanted to in quite specific ways by her, so we had a big fallout. So I think making that up was quite a big part of like moving on, moving on. Um, yeah, so distance and also oh, not not drinking too much. That was also helpful for. I think you know like I just I've come to the point now where I think I've, I just don't really drink that much anymore and that is purely from losing mum and just I mean god everyone knows it does to their mental health or for a lot of people's mental health it doesn't it's not always that helpful and I think for me it just kind of got to the point where it's very emotional when it's happening and then obviously the hangover emotions with it and it's just so I think that just really kind of helped level things out and let me process my grief properly properly air quotes without the sort of up, without the ups and downs and just really trying to get through it if that makes sense oh totally it's such a weird one because sometimes it feels like oh again I keep coming back to like uh being given license or like some kind of permission because I think again coming back to like Britishness and stuff it's like well you're allowed to have emotions if you're drunk and it can be dismissed as being drunk and there's something a little bit more of almost like a kind of um like a shortcut yes instead of being like, what are you actually just go completely like raw with it? Cause we because we have the structures to deal with like alcohol and hangovers and, and I think sometimes it, it kind of it can normalise things but it can also flatten them to the point where it's like you're not actually dealing with it. But Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a bit like going cold turkey in your grief, isn't it? 
Yeah, I've, not, I've never really thought about it like that, but you know, like that you have to experience it, you have to feel every single thing. So alcohol does so much numbing, and I'm the worst for it. I mean, I've been through phases of drinking a lot and not drinking at all, and God, my mental health was so much better when I wasn't drinking. Like, it was just stable, more stable. Um, and that was nice. Um, but anyway, <laughs> she says things quite amazing. <laughs> um, what haven't we asked you, Amy, that you'd like to talk about? Is there anything that you'd like to talk about, Dawn, or to talk about things that you wish you'd known or anything? I think I was quite worried when mum died, and I know my brother and sister said this to me as well, that they're worried about forgetting her. And I'm six years in now, so, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not that far into it, but certainly past the initial shock, let's say. And if anything, I just feel her so much now. She's so much a part of my siblings and a part of me. And it sounds a bit weird, but I, a bit corny, but I really feel like she's sort of within me. And I can very much see it in my siblings when we kind of, I'll talk to them about something and I'll be like, well, this is what mum would say to the situation. And they'll say it back to me. And my mum snorted when she laughed, which is also something that I do. I'm really laughing. <laughs> and so sometimes I am just properly laughing. I'm snorting and it just feels like, I'm hearing mum's laugh and it just feels like she's there with me laughing as well. So I think that's why I say like, if for people that are maybe a bit closer to the loss, don't worry too much about forgetting them because I just don't think you can really. I think they're just so much a part of you and it comes out in ways you don't expect. They come out in ways you don't expect. This is a question that you really, really don't have to answer because it's quite sensitive, but um, <laughs> no, no, no. It's um, about, um, your mum died suddenly, didn't she? Yeah, it was an accident, yeah. I oh, was just wondering if you'd observed anything about the differences in your, like, in the last six years of people who's who knew that their parents were going to die and, and the people who was a, a freak accident. Yeah, um, so I've, I've got a really close friend whose dad died from cancer and she knew it was coming, um... So she was able, the whole family was able to make, have conversations about it with him. And she said to me, I don't know, I don't know how you've done it. You didn't have those conversations with Dawn. I don't know how you've been able to cope without that. And on the one hand, I do understand how nice it would have been to have those conversations and to really tell mum how much we loved her and have her really hear it and not just be whispering in her ear into the medical coma, like, God, I hope you can hear this. And like, you know, but actually I'm just... And I think it's a very, very personal thing, but I am just so relieved that it was sudden for her because I couldn't have, oh, I just couldn't have bared it if she'd, if she'd known that she was going to die. And I think she would have been really worried about how we'd all cope because she was such the the focal part of our family and the emotional focal part. So I think she'd have really, really worried what how we would have, all have dealt with it without her. Um because my dad isn't like the most emotionally open man. So yeah, I've definitely noticed that, that difference between the sort of sudden accident versus the, you know, illness or something. But I, I think for us, yeah, I mean, I know lots of people wouldn't agree with me. They want that time to be able to talk to people. But for me, I'm just, oh God, so grateful she didn't know. It, yeah, just, just that's, that's one of my big things that she didn't, didn't know it was going to happen. And that's that. And yeah. And it might sound weird, but yeah, it just, it just sounds bad for us. Oh, not at all. Not weird at all. Because I think it's something that, you know, I think it's a good thing to sort of talk about amongst the sort of similarly bereaved 
because we can all kind of like I think we're all just curious and we want to share and because I think often people who aren't bereaved who are trying to comfort you try to find the silver linings and given that Anna and I had very different experiences with our with losing our mums versus how you lost your mum it's weird because we're almost kind of trying to take the best out of it but also thinking about everyone else and I do think that's what grief brain sort of does to you is however you find some sort of acceptance with what happened that is absolutely okay and it doesn't sound weird at all because you know my mum also being like the emotional focal point of the family and like worrying about who looked after me and stuff I you know I immediately think oh I couldn't have lost her in an accident and I'm really glad for what we had so maybe that's just our way of like coming to terms with because it's all horrible (laughs) it's it's so horrible it's just like what different option of completely horrible and devastating would you like but I think it's it's something about the the grieving community that I think is so lovely that we're so generous with each other's experiences when literally we're like oh it all sucks doesn't it why don't we just try try and make something of it I love that you were saying that I'm going back ever so slightly in terms of the fear of forgetting because I've had that a bit recently and I, I sort of had a little realization where it's like, oh, I'm not, what I'm afraid of is not forgetting. What I'm actually doing is really sad at the loss of that everyday presence and more stuff happening. Because you're so used to their presence. Like we talked about the grief coin earlier as well, the absence and the presence. And it's just like, because I, I get sudden rushes of like, oh my God, I've forgotten. I've not thought about her in like a minute. And it's like, well, I didn't think about her. <laughs> years of my life because I didn't have to so it's really lovely to hear that and also I kind of have the same laugh as my mum as well my best friend Josie calls it my very southern laugh where it was kind of like fully throated and back and my mum was a proper like sort of laugh so I'm glad that we all we all have that in common Amy thank you so much for coming on today it's been wonderful to talk to you oh thank you so much for having me I'm I wish you guys had been around back when mum died. I'm so glad to have you now because it's just such a lovely thing to listen to. Very honoured to be here. Oh, Amy, it's just well, it's so sweet of you. It's such a pleasure. Please, everyone, go and read Amy's book, Definitely Fine, and keep a lookout for the second one, which is incoming. And, um, yeah, it's... Thank you. And I just... I have... I'm so grateful for the image of Dawn just rocking out on the way to school. Thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mother of All Losses podcast. This episode was produced by Chris Thorburn. Music by Kane Aris, who can be found at Atom Collection 2 on SoundCloud. With huge thanks to Hannah Trevathan. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on themotheroflosses at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, take care of yourselves and your grief.